I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. Great to have you here today. And you know, a lot of the stories that we bring you, uh, testimonies, are these stories of things that people go through that you just, it, it, it seems like a movie, you know. And in fact, today's story was made into a movie. And the book just dropped. I'll show you the book. It's called Beautifully Broken. Uh, and we'll get into the story here. Uh, but I want to show you also a clip from the film um, the trailer from the film, just to kind of set up the story. The film is available, and the book is now available, and today's guest is Randy Hartley, so you'll meet him. But uh, watch this trailer, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk to Randy Hartley about Beautifully Broken. No man knows how or when his test will come. You have to get your family out. I'm going to get out of the car! My story would not be complete without two other families who each faced their own struggles. Say hi to Randy Hartley. It's nice to meet you, William. Pleasure to meet you as well, Mr. Hartley. Daddy has to work. Again? War is breaking out, and you're hiding behind your woman and your little hut. You know I have no choice but to join. For a fact that isn't ours. Your husband belongs to us. Everything okay up there? I'm just doing my best to provide for them. The best thing you can provide is you, Randy. Why did you want to be with me, Michelle, and not with us? It was the only way you could protect us. Get out of here! Stop! Get out of the car! This might be your best way out of here. I could never leave my family. Father! Andrea, open the door right now! These words cannot contain the love that I have for you. Till I see you again. It is time to face the truth. I won't let him take your life. Next! I work non-stop just to provide all this. We are losing her! Take me home! What is your problem? Why is my family falling apart? He must know what happened. Everyone is broken in some way, Andrea. Who knows how God will use your pain? You're beautifully broken! This was not your fault. It is not who you are. This came for you. I think it's time for me to make good on that promise I made to you. Holding on to the past will only destroy what lays before us. Now tell us the truth about what happened. Randy, I love you. True friends are always there for each other. You are very sneaky. We love surprises. <laughs> Your life is not where you've come from, but what you do with the days before you. That is uh, Beautifully Broken, which is uh, out, uh, and, and you can see it. The book is out now. Randy Hartley is, well, one of the main characters in the, in the film, but actually uh, a real, real person. He's here with me now, Randy. Great to have you on Life Today Live. Well, thank you, Randy. Good to be here with you. All right. Now, I, you know, when I watched that trailer, I was like, wow, okay, there's a lot going on here. Um, yeah. Uh, and probably more than you could tell, actually, in a, in a film. Uh, and so great to have the book. But right. kind of explain to people what what we're seeing here in these two worlds uh, sure. intersecting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it really is. It's about uh, really ultimately three families. So I'm a financial planner in uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, a suburb of Nashville. And uh, my daughter's life had taken a left-hand turn, and she was going down a dark spiral. We'll talk about that a little bit. But as a desperate dad trying to save her, um, 
One day I came home and we had a letter from Mama Hosa. That was her pen pal that she'd been corresponding with for 10 years through Compassion International. That was Mama Hosa from Rwanda. And one day I came home and I saw that letter. And I don't know why, but I thought, that's it. I'm taking her to Rwanda. I tell people all the time, God knows why I thought that was an answer, but God knew why. But how do I get there? How do we make this happen? Thankfully, my neighbor was William Muzerwa. William had escaped the genocide, had been a refugee, became my neighbor and a friend. And I approached William about leading our family back to Rwanda to meet the girl we've been sponsoring. And then in that story, we learned all these revelations of how our family had been broken by my daughter's situation. The Mazera family had been broken by the genocide having to flee. Amahosa's family had been broken with her dad having to go to jail when she was two and just got out less than a month before we got there. And yet God was able to take those the threads of those three lives and weave them together in such a way that all three families ultimately helped each of them to be redeemed. Mm. And that's it, it's beautifully broken. We're all broken at one point, but that was a, a chapter in the story uh, and not the, the title of the book or the movie. So just for people who m- may not know, uh, it's because it's, it's been 20, wow, 27 years or so, 20, right. 28, something like that, almost 30 years. Uh, Rwanda uh, had a genocide there between two factions, the, right. the, the Hutu tribe and the Tutsi tribe. Uh, I actually went there a year after all that happened. We built an orphanage, mm-hmm. you know, Life Outreach did. And so I've I've seen it. Uh, and and the the atrocities there were horrific. People literally taking yeah. machetes to each other, family within yeah. family, church within church. Uh, and it was one of the most, in, in my lifetime, maybe probably the worst thing I've seen. I don't know. Ukraine may, right. may you know, rival it. But... That, that's sort of the backdrop of what, what was going on in Rwanda. What was yeah. going on in your family? Right. Well, you're right. First, Rwanda, I mean, to put it in perspective, a million people died in 100 days in a country of 8 million people. So one out of eight, 10,000 people a day. It's mm. unbelievable. Mm. Um, and and it's really kind of that was the backdrop. In our family, I, I've got – even though the movie shows one daughter, there's three in our family. And my, I've got an older uh, daughter. Andrew is my middle daughter. And when she started in her teen years, she started down this dark spiral that, um, you know, our older teens, certainly every girl going through teens got a time that she looks at her dad. There's some conflict, (laughs) but with the middle one, it got way worse. The drugs, the alcohol culminated one weekend with her running away. And, and I was truly a desperate dad trying to find a daughter driving around at night (laughs) literally pulled over and just said a prayer said, Lord, I can't, I I can't handle this. I it's obviously, I don't have the solution. I need you. And thankfully on that Sunday afternoon, I texted her one last time and said, honey, please come home. I know you need help. Let mom and I help you. And we got a text not 30 seconds later saying, yep, you're right. And she came home. Uh, We put her into a 30 day program just to try to get her started and helped in the third week in that program. When we went for counseling, uh, we met with her and her her counselor, and um, it gets me emotional every time. But but Andrea handed us a note, and it told us that she had been molested when she was 12 years old mm-hmm. at a public park in Brentwood. It was on, during a Fourth of July celebration, of all things. Wow. When she'd gone with some friends, and um, you know, as a dad, that's just as devastating as it gets. Yeah. But on the one hand, it gave us a starting point to start to build back from. Mm. And 
it for anybody who goes through that kind of trauma and you try to recover from it, it's not a linear process. It's not, you know, now that we know everything's rosy, you know, there's a lot of damage that's been done and a lot of psychological damage and, and emotional damage. And we've got to build it back, not just for my daughter, but for the family. And in that kind of two step forward, one step back process, that's when I came home very frustrated one day and I saw that letter from Mama Hosa and thought, that's it, we're going to Rwanda. And I had no idea how life-changing that would be, uh, but but that's what we were going through. And I called the Mazeros and said, can you lead us back? And I had no idea really the full implications of what they'd been through until we got there yeah. and learned that the trip was gonna be a healing trip, not just for us, but for them, for Omaha's family and really started to see. And, and we did multiple trips thereafter where this whole story became revealed. Yeah, and we definitely want to talk about that. I do have a, I have a dad question for you, uh, sure. because that is that is the nightmare for for right. any dad. Uh, was the perpetrator ever caught and punished? No, you know the, the, the sad thing really is that my daughter kept it a secret for four years, which is not unusual. Right. But by the time we knew what happened, there was clearly no way of ever knowing who a perpetrator was. Um, but it was also partly devastating that she kept it a secret for four years because I, <clears throat> I would have thought ours was a family where she would have felt comfortable and open to tell us anything. Yeah. But I, I tell dads all the time, I guess it was implicit that the love was unconditional, but I hadn't made it explicit because she later said she didn't want to hurt us right. and she was afraid she'd get in trouble. Yeah. And, and for a 12-year-old to try to hold on to that and process that, is impossible. And so that deep, dark secret, you start believing all the lies of the devil. You start believing that you're worthless, that you have nothing to give, that it was your fault. And then when you think of yourself as worthless, you treat yourself as worthless. And that leads to mm. the drugs, the alcohol, the rebellion, all those various things. So thankfully she finally, you know, we finally got help and got the counseling and right. learned what it was and started to build back. But one thing I was told, the, probably the best advice I ever got was don't ask her questions about the details. She'll reveal what she wants to reveal when she wants to reveal it. But if you ask questions, it makes it seem like those details matter. It's almost like you're trying to figure out and assess blame. Yeah. So it it was probably a six-year process where she slowly told us more about it. But, hmm. but the bottom line is the perpetrator was a stranger and who knows who it is, but... Uh, yeah, we don't know <laughs> that. And, and, you know, that that advice, um, I'm sure it's great advice. Probably the hardest thing for a, for a father not to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it's it's terribly hard. But in a way, it's a blessing for me, too, because by not knowing, I always feel like that was God shielding me. He didn't ask me to forgive, per se, because I just didn't know. It was just my job to try to lead our family forward. And, and that's part of what the story is about. Did you ever did you ever get to the point where the uh you had to make the choice do you do you want your own justice or, or do you trust god's justice ultimately? right well and that's part of by not knowing i never had to really answer yeah. that question myself um yeah. but uh you'll see as we learn more about the mazira family and how they're able to forgive and move forward and that kind of became this backdrop of the genocide and how their family handled it kind of became a mirror for us much less you know we went through right. much less than they did right and their grace is what allowed us and kind of gave us that model for grace and forgiveness moving forward. Yeah, well, and, and I, I I admire the maturity that you're showing because as a father of two daughters, good Lord, yeah. you know, I get it. Uh, I, I mean, I, 
I at least yeah. think I, I get some of the emotions that I think I would feel, but I haven't been there. Thank God. Anyway, let's get right. to the Mazzara family. And, and so you take your, did you take all your daughters, your whole family? or just, just Well, take- you know, it's, it's kind of funny in the movie we portrayed as, as one trip, but it, the first time I called William and said, I need to take my daughter to Rwanda. It was his wife that was going. And one of these uh, coincidences, which I know are a little minor miracles, <laughs> his wife was leading a church group into Rwanda for her first trip back. But William didn't go, and the rest of my family didn't go. It's a busy suburban family. Everybody's got a million things mm. going on. So it was Andrew and I who went with a Briley on that first trip. And um, that first day there, when we were with a Briley on her first trip back, we were coming back across the capital, and she had told our driver, wait, turn here, turn here. And we went, and we stopped right in front of this nice white home in the middle of Kigali. Mm-hmm. And she told us, that's it. That was our home. And she said, that's the ditch that the militia lined us up in when they came to our house looking for someone in the rebels army. And our oldest was 12 and William was negotiating and trying to get out of it, but we had guns and machetes to our head. And all of a sudden a gunshot went off and the militia went to the top of the hill and exchanged gunfire. And we slowly went back into the house and we prayed all night and we left the next day. And I've not been back here to this very moment. Mm. And man, that just made the hair on my neck stand up. It made me realize this trip is way more than what I had thought. And that was my first clue of the healing process for all of us. And we went to visit Omahosa and the only regret, I, and it was transformational and we could talk about, but the only regret I had was that the rest of the family and the Mazira family wasn't there. So it was two years later that we went back and the movie kind of combines those into sure. one trip, revealing all the things that we discovered. Sure. So what happened when you met with the girl that, uh, was, was your daughter's pen pal. Yeah. Well, that, that was crazy because we'd spent four or five days with, with a Briley and that in itself was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I was almost afraid that the trip to visit Amahosa would be disappointed, but, uh, there's no way it was. We finally got there in this little remote village. And when we got to the house to visit, the family came pouring out, including her father, which surprised me because we'd always been told he was in jail. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, Compassion got that detail wrong. We meet the family, we go inside and exchange gifts, and the father started talking. And what he told us was that he went to jail when Amahosa was two. That was 1994, the year of the genocide. Mm. He'd just gotten out less than a month prior. It was 09, that was the year Rwanda had something called the Great Reconciliation, where they, they knew they couldn't keep everybody in jail. They decided if you were a minor perpetrator, whatever that definition of minor is, if you confess to your sins and ask for forgiveness, they would let you out for time served. Hmm. So clearly with her dad going to jail in 94 and coming out in 09, he was a perpetrator, never asked for the details. But what he told us was, he said, when I went to jail, I wondered how would my family survive? And I prayed to God asking God, will you please take care of my family? And he looked at me and he said, God sent me you. Wow. So I've got to thank you for being a faithful father to my family when I couldn't be here. And it was at that point I realized I wasn't quite sure why I was wandering the back hills of Rwanda. But I realized that when my family was falling apart, we were holding his family together. Mm. But then he went on to say, he goes, my wife and I were afraid we'd be barren and we couldn't have children. But we finally had a child. And in Rwanda, you name your child after birth. And oftentimes they're given a name that's an aspiration or inspiration. But he said, we named our daughter Amahosa because Amahosa means the redeemer. Wow. Because she redeemed our faith in Christ. Wow. And I thought, you know, I could have been wandering in the back hills looking for the girl called the tall or the happy or the beautiful. Instead, we're searching for the redeemer. 
and um, it it was uh, it was unbelievable just the meaning of that moment and what it meant for Andrea, who really came back a, a different child. And I have to say, I came back a different dad. Oh yeah. Um, and I so badly wanted to share that with the rest of my family in Missouri. And thankfully we had that opportunity when we went back two years later. Yeah. All right. I want to hear about that. I want to show people again real quick, the book that is out now, Beautifully Broken, which tells the story in much more detail. Uh, and, and, you know, if you really want to understand all the things that took place and how God just crafted this together in a supernatural way, I would, I would encourage you to pick up the book wherever you buy books, but we're really, I mean, I I love promoting people's books. Uh, it, it helps people, gives people a place to go beyond this interview. But the thing I really want people to hear is how, when someone seeks God, he does amazing things. Yes. Sometimes we think it's all on us, but we, what we don't realize is that God is just pursuing us with his grace and his restoration, the redemption, you know, yeah. uh, it, it, and it's really amazing. Now, we need to get to the other portion of the story because we, we talked about the genocide in Rwanda uh, and how devastating it was. But now with with your, your friends, when you all go back, right. you really understand the devastation. Oh. It was unbelievable, and this is why I wrote the book, because I was with them for more than what we'll talk about here, but but as I was telling the story to people, they said, Randy, you need to write this down. This is unbelievable, and that's yeah. what led to it all. But but we went back two years later, and when we first got there, so this is William's first trip back to Rwanda in 17 years. This is by now 2011. And I asked him, how was it? He goes, well, it's, 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 uh, it's mixed emotions, you know, seeing the how the country's progressed, but also the emotion of it. And we went out to his little village of Romare where he'd grown up, where his family was from. And he had one cousin still alive and and we had dinner at his cousins. His cousin told William where his mother and his sisters and his aunts and nieces and nephews were buried. So as we left, we parked the car and we let the family go down, of course, to the gravesite by themselves. And when they made their way back up, we were a caravan of about five cars in the mission group we had. And my family happened to get in the last car with William. So it was all of my family and just William driving. And not a quarter mile from where the gravesite was, as we turn the corner, an old lady comes walking out of a traditional Rwandan hut. William stops and goes, that's my mother's best friend. Hmm. We had been there in 17 years. And right as we walk by, she walks out. He hits the brakes, goes and talks to her. You can see them hug and, and talk for a minute. And then I could tell the conversation got more serious. And after about 10 minutes, William got back in the car and his mind was a million miles away. And he told us that night at the Bible study that his aunt told him that that this lady told him that his aunt had been culpable in his mother's death. And he went on to explain that his aunt was actually an orphaned Hutu girl that his father, who was Tutsi, had adopted decades prior and raised as one of his own. And William knew her growing up. She was a sister to his mom, had fed her and so forth. But he decided he needed to know more. And he said, I'm going to go visit her tomorrow. Uh, please pray for me. Hmm. Well, needless to say, we prayed as hard as we could pray. And we're working on the church the next day while William and his family were gone. And that night, he returns to Bible study, got back just in time for the study, and said he visited his aunt. And they brought her a gift to show that they didn't mean any harm. And after talking a little bit, reminiscing, he said, I need to know what happened to my mom. And she said, you, you're not going to want to know the story. He goes, I have to know. 
And the aunt went on to say that the mom and her sisters and the, the, their children had been holed up in the house trying to wait out the genocide and avoid the disaster. And the aunt went and knocked on the door and said, I'm Hutu. They won't be looking for me. You can come and hide in my house. I've got food and water. You'll need that. And so she led them to her house and it was a setup because her sons were there with machetes and hacked his family to death. So William, upon hearing the news, looked over and saw that there's a wash basin in her hut because they don't have running water. And he said, I knew she needed to know I meant no harm. And he took that wash basin and kneeled before her and washed her feet and said that he forgave her. He's telling us this in this Bible study that night. And we're in Rwanda and you're hearing the stories and trying to absorb it. But I'm telling you, there will never be another Bible study I'll go to in my life that brings home that power of forgiveness. But William said, I had to forgive her and I had to forgive myself. And I had to, the nation needed to forgive for us ever to come back together. And, um, you know, I know people who hold grudges about somebody who trimmed a shrub on their property line, or, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody said something at a Thanksgiving dinner and we hold those grudges. And if you can forgive that circumstances, I don't know when you can't. Yeah, uh, I, it's it's hard for us to uh, comprehend what, what was going on then. But yeah, it was family against family. Uh, and you, you can check out the movie beautifullybrokenmovie.com uh, and, and watch it and, it, and it'll it'll hit, really hit home. Um, I this is we talk about this in church, you know, you're your church guy, your church going yeah. family. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about, you know, all, all the all the things we talk about in church but when the rubber meets the road man i right. it's it's hard to even comprehend yeah um i i you you said this is you know the most impactful bible study you ever have but what do you when you come home from that kind of thing and your <coughs> your daughter comes home from that kind of thing right. what what's the big paradigm shift because i know you had one yeah well i tell you with her i think it's it's number one, the mirroring of their ability to move forward that, you know, brokenness can be a chapter in your life story, but it doesn't have to be the title of it. Wow. And same as our book. If, if we were broken and stay broken, I would try to hide everything that happened to us, but it's beautifully broken because God does have a plan and a purpose. And, and a Bradley Mazzaro says, if you'll take your pain and let it give your pain to God and let him make it your passion, then you can do wonderful things. And so my daughter did come home before the trip, by the way, I said she had to pay for the trip by volunteering at Legacy Mission Village. That's the not-for-profit that Mazir was founded to, to serve other refugees. And I mentioned earlier, she was stuck in this place of feeling worthless and, and no self-worth. And she'll tell you that her self-worth started being repaired when she started volunteering mm. because the children that she tutored would run up to her every day and say, I must say, loved her and glad she was there. Mm. And she began to realize, how can I be worthless if these other people love me so much? And as parents, we could pour all the water we want to in that sieve, but it just leaked out. It was when others started telling her. So I think as you reach outside yourself, you start to see that. But to see it in the way it was demonstrated in the Mazerwa family who William says, I should have died multiple times in 94, and all the time I have left is a loan from God. I want to spend the rest of my days repaying that loan. But he doesn't just say it, he lives it. And and then once you understand what he's been through and his still his ability to live it, 
that demonstration, I think, gave Andrea the strength to say, that's what I want to do. So she came back and did great in school, uh, graduated with honors, international studies, learned Swahili. And she moved to Kenya and actually worked in the mission field for eight years wow. um, in Kenya as a totally changed person from the girl that started in the movie, the one that you see. What, what does that do for you as a dad? Oh, there's... It doesn't get any better because it's hard to describe that lost point when you're driving around at night mm-hmm. and your daughter's doing drugs and alcohol and run away. That's the lowest point it can get to. And that's when I prayed and said, God, it's out of my hands. I, I, I think I'm in control sometimes and I know I'm not. And for it to come full circle to have a daughter who comes back with a purpose-driven life. Mm. It's like a rebirth. It's um, It doesn't get any better. I mean, that's why I tell the story because I know there's a lot of people out there that are broken in various ways. And I'm evangelical that it is a chapter in your life, but God is there. And if you feel abandoned, it's because he's gone before you. He's laid a path that you can't yet see. But it just requires that faithfulness to see it. And you know, the Mazera family, they had been refugees for seven years before the families reunited. Um, and now they serve a ministry that served over 12,000 people. Um, you know, Moses wandered for 40 years. Jacob was in a hole and held, you know, a slave for how many years? But it doesn't mean God's not there. Um, and so that's it. I just say, you know what, our, our, my mess is now my message. That's that's where I feel called to do. And especially in this day and age, we're on social media and Facebook and otherwise, um, you get the impression that, you know, everybody's a straight A student. Everybody's little league team is winning their games and mm-hmm. all vacations are, are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And yet you can fill in that dark hole. And, you know, especially here being Easter week, you know, we, we, we're trained to hide our scars because who wants to share their scars? And yet, if you think of the resurrection, man, it hit me that when Jesus came out, the first thing he did when he saw his disciples was he showed his scars, mm-hmm. not to remind people of his pain, but to remind them of his victory over it. Yeah, And that's what I think our book tries to do is it shows people that we've got some people in dark places between Amahosa's family and the Mazeras in mm-hmm. mind. And yet I would say we've all come out of it. Not that God ever wanted us to be in those dark places. I don't think he does, but he doesn't promise us as Christians that we won't get in a dark place. What he promises is I won't abandon you and I can lead you out of it. And I hope that our story, while I'm crying, is really ultimately tears of joy because as I say, broken is a chapter, but it's not the story. And God can take those broken pieces and put them back to be more beautiful than before. And that's ultimately what our story is about. You know, there's there's two definitions of, of brokenness, uh, especially in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. One one is a brokenness that is a ruin, yeah. Uh, and the other one is is how you would say I'm broken before God, where He puts things back together. And I right. think I think ultimately the difference is what you do with the brokenness, because if you try to keep it, try to hide it, it'll ruin you. But yes. if you take it to God, He'll put it back together. And uh, you know, there's stories about the the pottery that is broken on purpose and then put back together because then it's stronger. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, or stained glass. I like to talk about stained glass. You can take those shattered shards and the hand of a master is more beautiful than it could have ever been. 
And so that's just it. I, and people, I think, find themselves in that dark place and they try to hide it. But that's where the devil wants you because that's where you believe the lies. You believe I'm worthless. I've got nothing to give that, you know, this is where you're supposed to be. And, um, you know, if you'll allow a little light in and give a little of yourself, you'll see that there's there's ways out. And and there's more to it in the in the book. As we just highlighted a few of the stories, right. but a lot of them are the truly redemptive stories that have come from these broken places, both for our family and Amahosa and the Mazerwas. I mean, my goodness, they've served over 12,000 refugees and do a phenomenal job um, serving the people who, just like them, come here with absolutely nothing. And yet they wholeheartedly believe in that American dream and they're chasing it in ways that I wish um, everybody <laughs> right. uh, could do and, and we would all envy. Right. All right. I want to show that website. It's LegacyMissionVillage.org. Uh, and so you, you touched on it there as to what they do, but give us the quick overview. So Sure. Just- well, because the Mazzara families themselves are refugees, they know everything refugees need. We're not a government resettlement agency. We're not involved with who comes here or that part of thing. Yeah. But once a refugee ends up on our doorsteps, we help them from training kindergartners who oftentimes were born in refugee camps to prepare them to go into school. And mm-hmm. 100% of our kindergarten readiness kids go into mainstream schools. And um, we tutor high schoolers. You know, if you show up here as a 16 year old, they say, congratulations, you're a sophomore. Here's your geometry book. Forget the fact that you may have lived in a refugee camp for 10 <laughs> years and you don't speak English. Right. So we tutor these kids and they all start to become great achievers. Mm-hmm. We teach parents English as a second language and then one of the more fun classes I've taught is citizenship. All these people who come on a true um, a refugee status right. have to become citizens within five years. And they're dying and wanting to become citizens. And I tell you, those aren't easy tests, um, but but they're diving there, learning, become um, citizens. So it's really from, from the kids to the parents. Just And on top of all that, it's nurturing them and getting them a church home and, and healing their wounds and so it's not just the financial and the learning aspect, it's that emotional aspect that I don't think we would know how to do if it wasn't for the fact that we're run by refugees, for yeah. refugees. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. People sometimes wonder, you know, where's the church and helping people that need help? Well, right there, they're doing it, helping the refugees. I'd love to give that Amen. test to every high school graduate who was born in America and see their yeah. te- their success rate, because the failure rate would be. Uh, Amen. <laughs> a- absolutely. And I tell people, too, I, I listen, you can get into politics with refugees, and I don't know enough about those. All I know is Jesus called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So all I know is when they're here, it's up to us to serve them. Yep. And they're truly some of the most inspirational people uh, that I've ever met. And it'll renew your hope in America and the American dream when you see how hard these people work to chase that dream and they achieve it and they're very proud of it oh yeah i you know i'm from texas man all my life i've seen some of the best people in the state people that cross that border uh hopefully legally i mean and we we can do both things we can we can have good laws and help people at the same time well and i'm the first to say we, we need to have an orderly way for people to get here whatever that orderly way is we can't just you know, yeah, the chaos you can't just have open borders. you got to control it. But whatever you do control, you still need to let a certain number in, and then we need to treat them right when they're here. The rest of that's up to politics, and that's not me. All I can say is once they're here, we make them great, active, participating, taxpaying U.S. citizens, and that's what they're after. Love it. Love it. Randy Hartley, I appreciate I appreciate your time and you telling the story, even the hard parts that are still – they still sure. hurt. I mean, you know. Oh, Sure. Absolutely. I, I'm never going to forget the pain of it, but it's that pain that drives the passion. And, and 
why my daughter moved to Rwanda, it's why the or to Kenya, why the Mazira serve trust uh, the the refugees they do, and that's probably why I tell a story, write a book, and did a movie as a financial planner because I'm crazy enough to think that the story might uh, others might find it helpful and uplifting. I can assure you that's the case. So appreciate you. Thank you very All much. Right. All right, be sure to check out the book, check out the movie, um, beautiful, Beautifully Broken. Uh, and, man, what a story. If you know somebody that's that's feeling ruined, whatever that may be, I mean, probably not as dramatic as what you heard today, but the same truth is, is true, which is there is a Redeemer, uh, and he's you don't have to go looking for him. He's been looking for you. You just have to lay, lay you down your pain and your brokenness, and he will heal it. So I appreciate Randy's story. I appreciate all you guys uh, being a part of it today. Be sure to check out this book, Beautifully Broken. It is available wherever you get books. Uh, and, and again, the film, you can see that. Beautifullybrokenmovie.com, by the way, is a good place to start. Wouldn't you say with the Lord? We got more great interviews this week. I'm excited. So I, and I can look forward to being back with you tomorrow and the rest of the week. Join us again next time here no on Life Today Live. No longer will I rely upon my goodness, upon my personality. But, Lord, I just come as a bankrupt sinner, saying, Lord, have mercy on me.